Robins at the Gate with Sky Sports and Five Lives Michelle Owen. With Who Knows Wins, this is not betting as you know it. Put your money where your mates are. Playing is easy. Make your predictions on the outcomes of your chosen fixtures. For every result you predict correctly, you get a point in your league. At the end of the competition, whoever's got the most points wins and proves their top dog. Choose your own entry fee, however substantial or small, and split the winner's pot as you see fit. Who Knows Wins. Download the app now and start playing. Hello and welcome along to Robin's at the Gate with myself, Michelle Owen. And Greg McGregor will be joining us. We have very special guest this week, head coach of Bristol City, Dean Holden, came by for a chat. So, Greg, welcome along. Um, are you well? Are you looking forward to the trip up to Barnsley? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm all well. But um, like a lot of people, I cannot wait for football to resume again in the proper sense. None of this international malarkey. I've had enough of that. <laughs> it's not even proper without the fans, though, is it? Exactly, exactly. Um, as you've just heard, we are sponsored by Who Knows Wins. Uh, very exciting this week. Who Knows Wins have set up a league for you, Bristol City fans. So you can download the app. I'm going to put all this info on our Twitter. It's Robins at the Gates. And there's going to be a pin, which is Robins in capital letters. And there'll be a link as well. Basically, we've got some fixtures for you to predict. You do it with your mates. You chuck in a couple of quid. And whoever gets the most right gets the most points, gets the that's how it works so if you want more info on that it will be robins at the gate so let's get into our chat with dean holden he very kindly uh, agreed to join me for a chat after he finished his day he'd done his training he could have just been relaxing at home in the evening but he came up for a chat which i really appreciate so he came in and we had a distanced talk and this is what happened dean welcome along thank you thank you for coming on robins at the gate um just want to start by asking how it's going so far and um, adjusting to life as permanent head coach when that call came in that weekend who did you call first and what was your, your reaction to to getting the job um yeah it was very emotional i have to say i rang a facetime me my wife and kids i'd left them for a day or two to come back to bristol we were in uh, down in kent yeah danielle's got some family down there so they were on the beach it was late afternoon um i facetimed them and that was amazing kids were going nuts um and then I FaceTime my dad and that was just as a just as emotional I think for him as well as for me so it's been brilliant I've loved I've loved every minute of it it's only very early obviously and uh, we've had a decent enough start to the season so it's a long long way to go yet but just trying to enjoy every day trying to trying to build a nice spirit with the people that we work with the staff and all the place I saw your dad I think at one of the penultimate games of the season and uh, he was just saying like, how proud of you he is and um, how, how big an influence is, is he and what you do with him. Yeah. Is, is your love of football, is that through him? 100% yeah. yeah he, he's, since I can remember, there's a picture of me at five years old with a um, football shirt on with the FA Cup. What shirt? Um, that's a Man United shirt. Yeah. So he beat Everton in 1985. A, I can remember it to this day, actually. Um, so, yeah, he, his love, he was a player himself. He played for Macclesfield Town back then. Um, so I've got his, he's got like a little player's handbook which I've got on my, in my, on my desk in my office at the training ground just as a nice little reminder where it, where it all sort of started for me but mm. um, just I suppose the usual story with, with football is driving me all over the place all over the northwest to games training going for trials at different places and just, just I suppose guiding me and encouraging me more than anything he was never he was never really hard on me at all even if I'd had a bad game I just always felt that support from him so um, so I've always been on this journey together. My brother in later years joined him to 
travel all over the country watching me when I played up in Scotland. I remember they came up to Kilmarnock. It took them seven hours to get there because mm. of traffic and I got sent off at half-time, um, <laughs> just before half-time and they got there at half-time. So no way, where is it? A few great stories along the way like that. So it's, no, it's nice for everyone to feel part, part of it. Yeah, and the Manchester United connection as well. I remember um, when you beat them, obviously, a couple of years ago. And, and for you, what was that game like? Because that must have been really surreal. That's that's the club you yeah. love. That's Jason Mourinho. It, pr- pretty surreal evening for you. Yeah, it was completely nuts, wasn't it? I mean, for Corey to score at the end like he did was just the most incredible feeling. The atmosphere that night was was one of the best I've ever been a part of. Yeah. My dad was crying. I don't know if it was because United had got beat or because he won. I've never asked him that question, to be honest. But I think anyone that was there what, that night or would have been watching on TV would stand out as a... It's an incredible memory and that's, that's part of the buzz of being now the head coach is trying mm-hmm. to recreate them, them moments really. What's that transition been like because I imagine, I mean I'm not a coach, but I'd imagine as an assistant head coach that you can be a go-between for the players and that relationship to the manager and now you're the man at the top making all the decisions so how have you found that transition because you had the interim period first I guess yeah. and that gave you time to adjust. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, a big part of the job, I'm fascinated by Building relationships with people, with with the staff, with players, finding out what what makes them tick, why have they ended up where they are in their life, um, trying to see the world through their eyes really, so I can get uh, rather than me dictating and telling everyone what to do all the time, I just enjoy them relationships. So, I think mean, the biggest challenge for me becoming the head coach is trying not to change too much. Mm. Um, of course, you're right. Now I have to make the big calls and team selection and things like that. But I think there's a there's a way of going about it. I don't think you have to be a complete nutter. Um, I was going to use a bad word then, I'm not to. Um, <laughs> you know, of course you have to, I see it a little bit like with my kids, I don't, I'm not, I, don't, I'm not, I don't love anybody as much as I love my kids, obviously I don't mean that, what I mean is it's it's about building a relationship, but I can have a snap at me, one of my kids if they behave in a bad way, mm. um, so they know where the parameters are with, with what's expected of them, so um, it doesn't mean to say that you don't make the big calls, I just think you... you, you uh, you enjoy the good times and the bad times and you just try and guide guide people, really. Because you spend so much time together, it is well, it's basically like a second family because your family live away and you're mm. down here so much. So you have to have a positive relationship with the players. Yeah, and I think it allows you to have a straight one with someone. It allows me yeah. to have a direct, honest conversation with, with someone. So I think a lot of the modern generation is... Uh, and you can overcomplicate. I try to keep things as simple as I can, but I very quickly try to understand each person as, as an individual and what is it that they need. Do they need a tearing... Do they need me to tear them apart in front of tear them apart? Do they need me to have a go at them in front of the group? Do they need taken away to one side? Ultimately, it's about getting them to perform at their best. Um, do they need a little bit more, more encouragement in front of the group to make them feel that bit? So there's, there's all kinds of little things. That's what I'm saying. That's the thing that fascinates me the most, really. Is, is Does that fascinate you more than... And not to say that you're not... You know, very astute tactics. Tactical genius. No, I'm not. I'm not saying you're not a tactical <laughs> genius. Hey, look, you've had a perfect start to the season. But does that side of coaching, perhaps, um, I don't know, not interest you more? But do you have more of a, a leaning towards yeah. that? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and that's why I've I've, I've got the team around me that, that that I've got with Keith and Simo, and everybody brings different things. Of course, the tactical side of the game, I I enjoy. Um, still studying all the time, but you know, all that feel and that emotion and that. Um, basically getting the best from people um, I think is a, is, a, is a huge part of, of any successful team Is that because of how you were as a player? Because, I mean, I've ne- not played anywhere near the level you did but when I was playing I got to Women's Prem and the best coaches I worked under personally were ones that talked to me that communicated not ones that spent ages on tactics sports Yeah, um, 
I never really had any real tactical managers, I suppose, um, looking back in my career. So I think I, always, I think I always think back to it, but being at school, like that teacher, who was, why did that teacher get the most from me in that particular class? I don't think... Do you remember? Do you remember yeah, for sure, yeah, yeah. It was an art teacher, I hated that. <laughs> but um, he probably wouldn't have been the best teacher in terms of maybe grades that he's got or anything. There was a way about him that he got the best from you. Mm. And I think that's what football management is. Yeah. He's getting the best from everyone, from mm. myself first and foremost, and then from all the staff and all the players. And and there's many there's many sides to that. We've got the physical department, of course, to keep the lads fit, get them fit, and keep them fit. Uh, the psychology side of it is, is massive, but uh, you know, the tactical and all the technical. It's all, I don't mean you can separate any of them together. I think they all just fall under one umbrella. Yeah, and you touched on your assistants there as well. What was your relationship with them before? How did you know them? Um, I got to know Keith from the uh, sort of the LMA. Um, projects that you do so you go up to St George's Park and yeah. they'll, have, they'll have like a like a, an ex-manager like a, Sam Allardyce or Chris Hewton or someone for the day will do a tactical session and then you can do like a Q&A and, and find stuff out and you just get to know people on the circuit I suppose um, I played with his nephew uh, Paul at Walsall so speaking to good people in the game that I trust like Richard Kelly Dean Smith people speak really highly of, of Keith and, and Simo was, was slightly different I played for Simo at Shrewsbury he was my manager so um I probably knew him a little bit more personally, although we've not really kept in touch over the years. More through through lockdown, we did a couple of Zooms. I rang him a couple of times based on, um, after lockdown, we were going into all, what, nine games in, in a real short space of time. So he'd been to tournaments as a Keith and had success in tournaments. So just getting advice that way, really. And then it all happened really quickly. And uh, badges-wise, where are you up to? Have you... Yeah, I did my pro licence, um, which is the highest one you can get. So that's... It's a lot of work, that, isn't it? Yeah, it takes. It probably took me about nine years to get to that level. That's the that's the highest award in Europe. So I was really proud to get that. That was about five years ago. I completed that. Um, it doesn't. I was going to say it doesn't prepare you for yeah. management. It, it prepares you as well as it possibly can. So you'll be, for example, you'll be having lunch one. You'll be up there for say three or four days each month. For mm. example, on the course, and you'll be having lunch, and then the guy that ran it was brilliant. You get you out of your comfort zone. That's what it was. And say right, you're um, you're doing a tactical session this afternoon in a, I don't know in a certain shape against another shape, and then. But before that, you've got to drop the best player from the team that's been your captain and he was your best man at your wedding. All these weird mock type yeah. things. And they are good. They do they completely get you out of your comfort zone, but it's nothing like the real yeah. feeling, the real emotion of actually doing it for real. Yeah, well, I can't imagine. It's like role play by the sounds of it. Yeah. But um, you must have started your badges when you were playing then. So when you were playing, did you have one on the future? Because I guess some footballers know what they want to do after. Some don't have a clue. Some... I, um... I was about 27 when I started my badges. It was at Shrewsbury, funnily enough, and yep. started my B licence. I had loads of injuries as a player. I had three broken legs um, amongst other injuries. I lost about four and a half years of my career through actual injuries. So there was a lot of time. There was, a, there was twice when I thought my career was over through injury. And then there was loads of other times when you're just in the gym and you're watching the lads training and playing and you can get your bit down. And Of course, you have them feelings at that point, what am I going to do? Um, then I did a referee's course. <laughs> what? <laughs> it must have been a, a, an early midlife crisis. I, I wanted to stay in the game. I weren't quite sure if it's like coaching's getting up. It's like playing. It's, you need someone to give you an opportunity. Mm -hmm. So as well as doing the badges, it's whether someone's going to actually take you on and give you the, the chance of being a coach. So I wanted to. Stay. I did not want to leave the game of football. It's been my life, and it's something that, apart from my family, is probably the only love I've got really. So um, I wanted to stay in the game, and then. Luckily, towards the end of my career, Walsall Dean Smith gave me a little opportunity. He's a great guy, Dean Smith. Oh, he's a top fella, yeah. He's straight as a, straight as they come. And um, he gave me the opportunity to do a little bit of coaching, got the buzz for it. And as I say, it took off quickly after that. And 
I just want to actually touch on Dean Smith for a second, um, because you mentioned him. When you look at how he's risen, you know, hopefully we'll take Bristol City to the Premier League. But is that the sort of aspirations you have as a coach? It must be. For sure, yeah, for sure. That's where you want to be. It's where every player that we've got, everyone that we sign, that's where everybody wants to be at the top level. We hope to do it with the football club. And, uh, got a brilliant training ground around the corner. We've got all the facilities. Now it's about getting the club actually in, you know, into that position. And... Um, You've got to be consistent throughout the season. We've had a nice little start, but that's that's all it is. Yeah, let's talk about that perfect start then. I mean, could you have imagined this this sort of course you've imagined it, but from what you saw in pre-season, did you expect to be top of the table going to the international break? I didn't have any. I didn't particularly think that. I didn't think right. We want to be top. I just I take every every. This is going to sound so boring. Every day as it comes, <laughs> like it was a, it was. Um, we got. I was. I was really grateful. We got the five players in early, like we did in early in the window. And Did you feel that that, that that was a relief almost just to get your transfer business done yeah. and then you didn't have to worry about yeah. going back and forth because there's sure. so many parties involved in a transfer and you yeah. don't want the stress of that starting the season? Yeah, and mm. particularly after the season starts, like you say. Mm. So, no, that was that was absolutely massive, I think, um, for the start that we've had. It's allowed us to work with them players and just as importantly to build that spirit, which is building really nicely now. Um, managed to get the staff in, as I say, that I wanted at the beginning. So, um, it was just a case of just getting everybody on the same page in the, in the style that we want to play, the formation that we want to play and have a, um, a way that we go about things really on and off the pitch and that has, up to the minute has, has moved has into a nice position. The player seemed really positive about you becoming head coach because when it happened there was a lot of rumours, lots of people interviewed, this person was being interviewed, that person was being interviewed but when it was reported that you'd been offered the job and you'd taken the weekend to think about it, I noticed a few players being very positive on, on social media. Did you really feel that you had the backing of the players that were there? Yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, as I say, just through, just through good relationships, I think, with people. Um, I hear this nice nice guy tag a lot, which I bet my mum and dad would be well proud of because that's what you want your kids to be. Absolutely, you? yeah. I think it's, <laughs> as I say, I think it's just about having straight, honest... And that's not always the way, you've got to be honest, over the years and as a player and as a young coach, that's not always the way. It's probably like any business, sometimes mm. it's not as honest as it as you would like it to be. So yeah. um, nobody benefits through, through you know, leading people up, up the wrong path. So certain players that have left the club in recent times, it's straight on his conversation with them, I think you're a really good player, but you know, I'm not sure you'll get too much opportunity. So, so it's just, I think you just gain respect. I don't want to be liked, I want to be, I want to be respected, but you've got to earn that respect. That's difficult, isn't it? You know, someone just springs to mind is Corey Smith that's, mm. that's gone to Swansea. And when you sit down with him, who has played such a pivotal role in the club, gave the club their best night in years, how, how do you approach a conversation like that with someone that's been there so long? That was strange because that was before I took over. So Corey, so it was over, I think it was on the Friday. I'm trying to think back to the time. Um, of when I was offered the job. I think that Corey had been in conversation with, with the club about a new contract. The club had said at the time they couldn't offer him a new contract. Uh, he got a very good offer from, obviously, from Swansea. Um, and before I took the job, he, you know, he, he decided to accept that. So we've had conversations since. He's sent me some lovely messages, I have to say. Uh, Corey, Marlon, Pat, Flinney, um, guys that have left in recent times I've got yeah. really good relationships with. So, um, no, of course, apart from when we play Swansea, <laughs> he's one of the one of the good guys. Would you want him to keep him? Do you think, or was it just it was just bad timing? Or? I think his timing was everything, wasn't it? Um, and Tyreek's now come to the fore. Oh, he's in, doing brilliantly, isn't in he? In pre-season, um, and again that's for opportunity. Um, it's just the way things panned out, sliding doors moment, and um, mm -hmm. Tyreek's not looked back. 
Well, absolutely. And in terms of the start of the season, let's go back to that then. With Tyreek almost cementing his place in midfield for now, uh, the way you're playing at the moment, the style, the formation, when you took over permanently, did you already have that in mind? And he must have caught your eye in pre-season, like you said. Yeah, I had the, 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 we played the system at the start of last season and had some good results, particularly away from home. And I always like the idea of having two strikers on the pitch and three through midfield gives you gives you a bit of solidity as well. And I just mm -hmm. think it suits the, play, the, the players that we've got. And, uh, there's different ways of playing that system. I think you can look at uh, different clubs, Sheffield United and maybe like Wolves, they play it totally differently. We like to play it as an attacking system on the front foot. Um, as I said, I don't try to complicate too off too much. I just try to put people in positions I think they can be effective in. And Tyreek rolls right through pre-season. He, he impressed through training. It was as simple as that. The opportunities in games that he got, he performed well. And um, he's been a real, a real find for us. But how competitive is it at the moment in training? Because your starting eleven hasn't changed hugely apart from for League Cup games and we saw some players given opportunities then. But how many people are in your thoughts for this coming weekend? It must be very difficult at the moment with such a competitive squad. Yeah, difficult I suppose. Is, I don't look at it like that. I look at it, it, it that's what you want. You want Good thing. Yeah, mm. yeah, for sure. I mean, training is so competitive to, to answer that question. It's... It's players who are performing at the top end of the game that are not even in the starting eleven. How good, how good is that? Yeah, I mean Joe Morrell is playing yeah. for Wales. Yeah, I've watched him play at Wembley at the weekend, well Thursday night, mm -hmm. and you think I know he's been injured. But you've got international players, Callum O'Dowd going away. Yeah. they can't even get in the Bristol City Adam team. Uh, yeah, yeah, for Mara is another one, and that's another thing that you've got to juggle. We, we probably won't see the bulk of them lads until until Friday, which is the day. You've got a game. The day we're travelling up to yeah, Barnsley, so Saturday, yeah. they'll have to get COVID tested on their return. So again, that's just something. It's not an, it's not an excuse at all. It's just something you've uh, you've got to kind of manage as best you can. And in terms of COVID that you've touched on there, how difficult is it working with the restrictions? I guess you you've got used to them in, in a way now. But what's the worst thing about it right now? Um, well, the worst thing, without without a shadow of a doubt, is not sharing the, this good start that we've had with our supporters. It's just it's it's we've got used to playing games in empty stadiums. As weird as that may sound, but mm. you know the end of, you know when you score a goal or the end of a game when you can really have that moment together. So that's been that's been tough. I have to say, and we can't wait to have them back with us. I mean, I go back to uh, the two good away performances we've had up at Stoke and, and Forest. You can imagine the incredible away support. Always travel so well yeah. as well. Yeah. So. And I'm sure they're missing them days. In fact, I know that the fans are missing them, but I'm sure that they're enjoying watching watching the games um, on the TV. The other side of it is is just the socialising with the academy staff. And the, the, we were leaving the training pitch this morning as, as the under twenty threes were starting training because we have to train at different times, mm. different bubbles or whatever they call it nowadays. Mm. Uh, so just that lack of socialising and lack of contact time. You can, of course, you can you can speak to people on the phone. Isn't I don't think it's the same. You can't build them relationships as, as well as you. Would like to, but we'll keep we'll keep trying. And difficult for you with the twenty threes. You want to see what they're up to, don't yeah. you? Yeah, we've been able to watch them in games, which has been nice. But um, yeah, as I say, just uh, we've started to merge one or two of them with with the first team as, you know, when we can, as much as we can. But as you say, with the, with the rules and that stuff, it's it's not not easy. No, and you have connected with the fans there. You went down the three lines. You went with your dad and your brother. Was that just a sort of spur of the moment thing? Yeah, well, I, I heard about Sean. Sean that runs it, I heard about the, I came off, off social media immediately, but someone told me about it. When did you come off social media? I came off it, uh, I think it was the night that Lee got, I think it was the night of Cardiff, after, yeah. Lee, after Lee lost his job. I went back on it once just to put a message of support to Famara because after he got racially mm -hmm. abused, but I've not been on it since. And um, someone told me about a picture that Sean had put outside his pub back in me, basically, and I thought that was a, because there was a bit of stick going around from what I can gather, so... <laughs> 
I thought that was fair play to him. So I was going to go a couple of weeks. I did the Jeff Twentyman show and I was going to go pop them, but he was away in Italy, I think, at the time. So uh, no, a couple of weeks ago, I think we were playing. We must have we were playing on the Sunday, so we trained on the Saturday morning. And I mentioned to Scotty Murray and Matt Parsons at the club that I might nip up that afternoon because I knew yeah. I like the Jeff Stelling thing in the afternoon on Sky. And, um, word, word spread I think from that and uh, we popped in I didn't think there'd be anyone in we opened the door and there was, there was as many as you could possibly have in there socially distanced I think so it was that was a good couple of hours I had a, I had a game of pool I won which was nice yeah um, got to see some fans I yeah. mean we've got the fans in there watching soccer Saturday there should be at grounds yes it's, um, it's madness it's tough to deal with of course we have to abide by the yeah. rules and regulations of government but there's a lot of things there's some great photos of you in there Looked like you had a good time. We did. We got. What did you drink? To feel really welcome. I had me. Uh, had a pint of Thatchers, which you don't like Thatchers, do you? Not a big fan of it. No. What do you drink? Um, tea. Uh, have a tea. tea. Are you teetotal? No, I'm not teetotal. Like, <laughs> no, uh, I'm not. <laughs> I like a lager top yeah. or a cocktail. Some people call it. So um, you're going to have to get used to the side, I'm afraid. Yeah. And I've got a couple of questions here from Twitter. One I picked out here from Nigel Chibbers. We just asked fans to, to get in touch, really. And okay. um, he said it appears to be very open championship this season. Uh, who do you see as favourites to win the league? Where do you see yourselves finishing? And have you been given a target by the board? It's three questions from Nigel there. I know. Um, so I, no, I've not had any target. No, we, we want to finish as high as we possibly can. It's simple as that. We're, we're in this, we go into every game trying to win. So yeah. I believe a big part of the of successful teams is having, first and foremost, is having that belief that you can win. So it's something that the club's not done before. So we're trying to in terms of getting to the Premier League we're trying to give everybody belief that, that it's possible whether mm. it is possible or not time will tell mm. um, teams are the teams that I've seen so far Bournemouth put on a really classy performance last week up at um, Coventry I watched on the box I thought they were really impressive I guess that's easier for you to gauge as well because you played Coventry didn't you so. yeah yeah. Coventry I thought were a tough nut to crack first game yeah. of the season I think they'll get some good results this season um, until the window shuts in a couple of days time it's hard to put your an exact name on because you don't quite know who's going to who's going to bring which players in. But I think Bournemouth, based on that one performance that I've seen from them, was going to be a difficult team to beat. And Philippa asked, um, "Where were you when you were offered the job?" So the family was down in Kent. Where were you yeah. when you got that call? Um, I was leaving the uh, stadium and I'd got a, a phone call from from Mark Ashton. So I, uh, I FaceTimed my family from the taxi on the way back to the train station. And it really is that raw moment, isn't it? Yeah. Thank God for technology, because you can capture yeah. that moment with you, can't you? With them, can't yeah, you? Yeah, it's so. incredible. I have to say, it was. Um, and it's not so. As you say, there was a lot of noise around the summer about different names, and, and I know all the names who were interviewed. And I said it before. I'm really glad they did that. I just went and spoke to people out there rather than rushing into a decision. So, um, proof you're no, the right man for the job as well. Well, for now, the, the thing for me is just proving every day to, to myself that um, I'm good enough in this job. And, people around me I trust and, and I'm enjoying working with them. I know being an assistant manager was hugely time consuming I imagine being a head coach is even more time consuming how are you finding balancing that sort of oh, everyone tries it that work and family balance yeah is it? Um, as I say it's only early days and we're trying our best at the moment I think it's uh, to be married with five kids is difficult in itself so and to sustain obviously a, a really important mm -hmm. job so I try to I try to be as smart as I can with the time management I think you can become a you can become good at nothing if, you, if you're all of a sudden trying to balance too many plates. Mm. So, um, of course, as you said there, that the phone never can never be off now because you never know what's going to come around the corner. Yeah. Um, at the same time, when I'm, when I'm at home with the kids and, and with Danielle, I try as much as I can to switch off. Uh, and I think, I'm, again, time will tell with this, but uh, I think I'm, it's probably one of my strengths is being able to keep things in balance. 
um, through some techniques I've used over the years as well, are able to keep me pretty pretty calm. As you say, what do you do to relax? Because you, you hardly have any spare time because when you're down here, yeah. you're full on committed to the job. I mean, maybe an evening or two to relax or probably Yeah, just... no, I know we go up to different things. I go up to Clevedon, have a little jump in the, in the water up there just to kind of switch off after training that. That's something I quite enjoy to do, as daft as that sounds. Cold. Um, yeah, it's freezing. What, even at this time of year, you're going Yeah, there. it's freezing, Ooh. but it's just no, it's just something that allows me to just chill out. You, you, you're not with your phone for 20 minutes, you're not with anything. It's that disconnection, isn't it? Yeah, disconnection, so connected yeah. to our phones. Yeah, just, just nothing really too exciting, really. Watch if there's a match on the TV, that'll be on. Um, I'll be with the kids and Danielle, simple as that. Now, you're a very busy man, so we really appreciate you coming on today. And uh, best of luck against Barnsley. Thank you. At the weekend, and then there's a Tuesday game after that, isn't there? We've got seven games in 21 days now after this national wow. break, which again is mad in itself, and we've got to be smart with how we sort of prepare the players for them games. So uh, it's going to be a big test for us this, but we can't wait for it. So we might see a bit more squad rotation? Um, well, I try and keep the team as settled as I can, so we'll, we'll see how we get on in these next couple of games. Absolutely. Well, best of luck for the rest of the season. Thank you so Thank much you. for coming on. Thanks, Michelle. Fantastic to hear from Dean Holden then and we will get some more into what he said in just a second with Gregor after the break. Robins at the gate. With Who Knows Wins. This is not betting as you know it. Download the app now and start playing. Robins at the gate with Michelle Owen. Welcome back. Yes, we have a fan league for you as well with Who Knows Wins. Head to our Twitter and there is more info there on how you can play with your fellow Bristol City friends. Gregor, welcome back. So, Dean Holden then, uh, popped by for a chat, had a cuppa, although the, I didn't make him a good cup of tea, i got to admit, I put too much milk in, but he downed it anyway. He was he was very polite about that. But such a joy to talk to. That Kilmarnock story was brilliant, wasn't it, where his dad came and he, he got sent off. It's just one of those gems when you look back on your playing days. But from what I could hear, you know, his relationship with his father and his family really have grounded him for the sort of person who he is, which seems to be the most important thing for his coaching. Yeah, he's, he comes over as a really great guy and I think you can probably see why he's getting a real tune out of a lot of the players at Bristol City. He's, he's genuine, he's got he's got a real passion for the game and yeah, he's doing everything right I think at the moment. No, can't really complain about anything. You certainly can't quibble with his results that he's had so far and as you say, it seems he's a bit of a family man and um, I think he can relate to a lot of the players and a lot of the problems they've had mm -hmm. because he's been through a lot of them himself and um, he'll have good advice to pass on so yeah long may it continue he's not a good tactical manager you know I said that and I think he is communicating with his assistants brilliantly for the tactical side of things but he really does seem focused on that man management doesn't he and do you think that's where he's slightly different than Lee Johnson yeah, in, in terms of the tactics, uh, I think you're right. I think maybe sometimes some managers put a bit too much emphasis on that. And at times, football is a simple game. And what I like about Dean Holden is that he's identified a couple of things differently from Lee Johnson, such as having that settled system and, and maybe making fewer changes, not chopping and changing each week and having a, yeah, that settled system of 3-5-2, which, which really does, I think, suit the, the Bristol City players and the squad, gets the most out of them. And I think that's why we're seeing good results and, and also good 
good performances off the back of it. But yeah, also in terms of man management, I mean, obviously we, we've been doing the podcast for a long time and we covered all of Lee Johnson's uh, <laughs> tenure. Yeah, ten, most of the tenure and, and, and yeah, on all the, the day-to-day, well, sorry, week-to-week happenings at the club. And you're always going to get ups and downs and it's going to be difficult over the long run to keep everybody happy in a playing squad. Um, and we, we kind of covered that maybe in the past where there were a few players who, who maybe weren't quite so happy. Whereas I get the impression at the moment that everybody is united in that squad and that's really helping Bristol City. And of course... It's early days and it's going to be very interesting to see if, if Dean can maintain all that good spirit and, and keep the results coming. Um, and the real test is going to be when he starts losing a few games. But I don't know, I yeah. just feel that the difference might be that he might be able to get back winning and, and, and avoid those streaks of results that we saw under Lee. Well, that's what he said, didn't he? You know, there's are, there are going to be rough patches. And I think for me, I touched on it in, in the chat, that when that happens, what's interesting is how he has to be the head coach rather than the assistant. He can't be the guy that he was when he was the go-between. But it sounds to me like he's wanted to sort of carry that through, that ethos that the players can talk to him, they can come and knock on his door. And he doesn't seem to get bogged down in... in not the little stuff, I don't think that's, that's the right word, but he just seems to see the bigger picture. Yeah, yeah. I know. Just in relation to Lee Johnson, I know. To be fair to Lee, he he always said to us that I think he probably recognised himself even that, and he, he certainly mentioned this a couple of times that he really occasionally needed to step back and see the wood for the trees was the exact phrase he used, and I think it, yeah, I think maybe he just felt that he got a bit bogged down at times into certain issues and things and just needed to step back. But as you say, Dean Holden seems to have his focus in, in the right areas and be, yeah, re- really um, have the things in, in the correct proportion. I liked that he seemed well on top of the work balance situation. I thought it was... I think that's so really, important because yeah. the happier... I always think the happier, your home, well, the happier your home life, the happier things are overall, you know, with work, with everything. It's a, it's a knock-on effect, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And I was surprised about his swimming in the sea down at Burnham or wherever oh. it was. And, that's uh, Cleveland, yeah. yeah I, walk, Cleveland. I walk the dog down there a lot, and I've never been brave enough to go in. I have some friends that swim down there. I'll tell you what, it's not warm. It's not warm, but it's also like no one would bother him because if he in his wetsuit with his goggles on, you wouldn't know it's him. Apart from the fact he's very tall, you wouldn't know it's him, would you? Yeah, no, fair play to him, fair play to him. And just on the, the family side, I don't want to delve too much into that, but just to, just to say that I met um, Dean Holden once at an under-23s game and he came over and he introduced his son Joey to me, who I know mm-hmm. is uh, an up-and-coming footballer as well. That's his and, oldest, uh, isn't it, I think? Yeah, and, and, and that's, that's more indicative of the sort of outgoing kind of guy that Dean Holden is that he'll just Absolutely. come over and, and speak to anyone doesn't matter who you are and he you kind of feel that he's he's kind of interested in people I think that came over in your yes. in your yeah, chat really. he likes he likes to see how people tick and I genuinely get that impression about him yeah, I mean, he said that as much, didn't he? He's interested in the way players think, the way players work. And when we'd finished chatting, he didn't just shoot off. He could have just been like, right, I've got to go now. But he stayed and, and he talked to my husband and my little boy and made a fuss with the dog. And it's, it's just the sort of person he is. And like you say, the way he works with players, it's going to be interesting to see if he can keep these results going all season. But yeah, I hope you enjoyed that chat. I really enjoyed doing it. And at 
actually, hopefully it won't be the last. I, I'm confident that we'll be able to get Dean back on later in the season and see how things are going. And definitely one to watch in terms of coaching. Like you say, we've referenced Lee Johnson there. And I didn't actually Greg, want to bring it up too much in the chat because I wanted to look forward. And, and I think he's probably been asked a few times about, you know, how that went down. So um, hopefully listening to that and uh, we'll speak to Dean again soon. Gregor, let's talk about the big news this week. Um, remind me of the name? <laughs> Project Big Picture. I keep saying Project Restart because that's what the Premier League was. But yeah, Project Big Picture. Um, if, if you want to give the quick lowdown, Gregor, which is basically there's going to be, if they got their way, uh, 18 Premier League teams and six that basically controlled the pyramid systems. Is that right? Uh, in a nutshell, yes. Not not really control the pyramid system, but just would have a lot more powers. They don't effectively have... In terms have, of funds, in terms of money. Uh, yeah, in, in, I mean, basically, there's a lot to this deal. It also includes the abolition of the League Cup, getting rid of mm -hmm. the Charity Shield as well. Um, yeah, as you say, 18 teams in the Premier League, they're probably the big ones, but then you've also got the generous offer of to share 25% of any future TV deals agreed with the Premier League. That would go to the EFL, which is an absolutely substantial amount of money, a lot more than what the, than what the EFL gets at the moment. Uh, Darren McAnthony of Peterborough was on the radio last night saying that if Peterborough were promoted to the Championship under those terms, they would be looking to bring in something like pounds in budget, twenty maybe mid-20, yeah, 25 million or something, which is a heck of a lot more than they get at the moment, which might only be a couple of million, um, maybe a little bit more than that. Um, so it's a huge rise in money that would be filtered down across football. And it's been led by... The EFL chairman, Rick Parry, who's been talking to Liverpool and Manchester United chiefly. But in return, yeah, as you say there, there would be more powers going to the top six plus another three clubs. They also included uh, West Ham, Everton and, and another yeah. club. Yeah. <laughs> because... Um this, this is what this is what got me. Special status for nine longest serving Premier League clubs. The big six, okay, well, you just decided the big six are, plus Everton, West Ham and Southampton. Uh, £250 million pounds in immediate compensation to the EFL, which they need right now because of, because of fans not being there. But that's what gets me about this. I can't see how this is going to be a quick decision because this will take years, well, surely it'll take a, a few years to ratify and or, or sort. But what I, I don't understand is... They're, they're making it look like a, a great thing, but the two Premier League clubs not being in the Premier League means the other clubs in the Premier League would get a bit more money. So I don't think they'd be losing out. It's not like it's a big handout or anything, is it? It's just, it's, I guess, it's good, spreading the money. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, you'd have to look at the the fine print of the of the deal, obviously, and everything, but. In essence, as you say, if they're playing fewer home games, then yes, they might lose money. But at the same time, they'd be keeping a bigger share. Yeah, but um, those top six ultimately. or top four Champions League, there is an idea that the Champions League is going to be remodelled and they're going to have to play more Champions League fixtures and then get more revenue from that rather than playing those, those two Premier League games. That's just something I've read. So I, Abs Yeah, no, ab absolutely. Um, but it figures. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And that is a... Yeah, uh, no doubt that is part of 
the top six is thinking and and is and it definitely lends itself to um, having the space to be able to do those yeah play more European games and that that for me is a, is a little bit of a worry that then you yeah. start to almost dilute the English football pyramid I I personally don't I personally think there is good in this and there is bad in this yes and I agree I, I don't know if you feel the same way Michelle but I think Rick Parry is spot on in terms of getting this conversation started, in terms of that there does need to be a reassessment of how fin Change, finance yeah. Yeah, exactly, is, is, is split across the league. We keep seeing these clubs finding financial difficulties. It's the, the, the evil of parachute payments, as he, as he called it, is, mm. is very divisive, and, and, and we know that um, it just encourages clubs really to gamble to try and spend and make it to the promised land and all the riches that that includes of the Premier League. So, yeah, something does need to be done. But my hope is that this is just the start of the conversation. This is perhaps the first draft of ideas. Of course, it is. And then, yeah. and then they can reconfigure it and, and, and find something that's a bit more suitable uh, further down the line. So, yeah, I, I don't dismiss it all straight away, but I just do feel that it's not right, what the, um, the current agreements, and they do need to yeah. go back to it. But, I, don't, yeah. I don't like the idea of the 16th place Premier League club playing third, fourth and fifth in the Championship because it means sixth place lose out. <laughs> so I like the way the playoffs are at the moment. But... Um, it's going to be very interesting to see how it plays out, but it doesn't answer any immediate problems. And surely, Greg, will they need an immediate solution uh, for what's happening right now, don't they? Especially in League One, League Two. Yeah, and I mean, we're recording this Tuesday morning. Tomorrow, yes, and there's there's yeah. a discussion on Tuesday about about this from Project Big Picture, isn't there? That's happening. Yeah, I think, the on pre Premier League. I think it might be yeah, either Tuesday or Wednesday. Yeah, there's a Premier League meeting taking place where they mm -hmm. are discussing that. The worrying thing is as well that um, there's already calls for EFL chair Rick Parry to stand down if 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 the if the, basically the proposals don't garner enough support. So yeah, there's a lot of um, political manoeuvring on this as there always is uh, in football. And, and, well, the FA has has a big share in the Premier League, doesn't it? So it's got the power to veto major decisions as well. And I've, I've read they'd be unlikely to back them in the current form, like you say. But surely the FA wants to be worried about what's happening in, in Leagues 1 and Leagues 2 in, in the very immediate future. Absolutely, absolutely. They they have their golden share, which was agreed when the Premier League was formed in 1992. So they can use that to veto any anything that they feel is is detrimental to the national game as a whole. But also, you've also you, you've also got the government um, wading into it as well. I think the culture secretary Oliver Dowd, as um, as well, basically there was a, a statement released, wasn't there, at the weekend saying that they can't couldn't believe that there was a power grab at this at this time. So yeah, yeah, it, it, it's it's not going it's, on. It's interesting, yeah, and I think we're going to be hearing a lot more about this. Yeah, absolutely. Well, before we go, let's touch on. Barnsley this weekend then. Uh, Thomas Callis might be in line to face them on Saturday. Um, any any other sort of news ahead of the match at the weekend? Just the Calamo Dowder situation, which is which is an odd one, and have to say that nothing has been confirmed officially yet. But it has been widely reported that, um, as the FA of Ireland confirmed that the five Irish players were unable to play against Wales at the weekend because one had tested positive for coronavirus, and four other players had been in close contact with that player 
It was in newspaper reports yesterday that one of those four was Callum O'Dowder, along with John Egan, Alan Brown, and Callum Robinson. And those guys had been sat next to, apparently on the plane, next to one of the players who then tested positive with coronavirus. So we're waiting official confirmation on whether that is true or not um, from the relevant clubs, etc. And yeah, if 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 he has if he is. Um, basically a part of the protocols ongoing at the moment it might mean that he might not be able to leave Ireland for um, two weeks after self-isolating although that is to be confirmed but it means that he might be out for a few games which would be untimely because he's just come back from injury but yeah in terms of good news you're right Thomas Callas is going to be fit for the weekend he just restarts full contact training on from Wednesday so that's a huge boost for Bristol City and um, Barnsley are Mangelis yeah no, Garrett Struber he's gone to New York so at the moment yeah. they don't have a manager uh, recent results they lost in Middlesbrough they drew with Coventry uh, in the league and I, I watched them lose 2-0 to Reading they weren't bad in the first half of that game and before that they lost to Luton so they've not had a great start to the season uh, people wouldn't expect them maybe to do that well but now they don't have a manager either Greg also good time to play them yeah, it probably is, but you know you know how football works, and <laughs> managerless teams sometimes I don't know they, they they sometimes pull something out of the bag. So we'll have to see. We will see. Well, safe journey up there, Gregor. And then on Tuesday there's a match as well, which we'll both be at. They're coming thick and fast. Seven games in 21 days. Uh, Dean Holder was telling me that is that is a lot for any squad it's Borough on Tuesday we'll probably record their next week Gregor on the Wednesday to reflect on that um, fancy fancy City against Neil Warnock's side yeah I do based on how well they played up at the Riverside at the end of last season which yeah only for recent. me yeah but yeah, you're right. It's only a couple of months ago. And for me, that's been one of the best away performances I've seen from Bristol City for some time. They did match that up at Stoke City as well. Um, but yeah, in, in terms of Neil Warnock, yeah, there's going to be, yeah, that will be an interesting one as well. So, uh, it's such a shame the fans are not there. I just, oh. I hate it, Gregor. I hate it. As we referenced with with yeah. Dean, you know, you can go to the three lions and meet fans, but they can't stand behind us at a football ground. I don't know. Well, fingers crossed. Uh, we'll we'll hear some more news about that maybe in the coming week. We'll, we'll remain optimistic as we can. Uh, thank you for listening, Gregor. Thank you for for coming on today. Keep an eye on our Twitter. It's Robins at the Gate. You can find out how to start or be part of the league that who knows wins are setting up this week as well. I'll tweet all the details, Gregor. Thanks uh, for coming on. Safe trip to Barnsley. Thank you very much, Michelle. <laughs> and I will see you Tuesday at Ashton Gate for the Middlesbrough game, and we'll be back after that match. Thanks for listening. Robins at the Gate. With Who Knows Wins. This is not betting as you know it. Download the app now and start playing. Please subscribe and review us wherever you get your podcasts.